Hey, John, how are you? Hi, Dan Benjamin, how are you? You sound really, like, present and, like, here, like, in the moment. Maybe I turned my microphone up. I like it. Keep it where you've got it. Is that right? This is the... This is the level that you like. Yeah, I like this. Oh, okay. This is important. I'm here. I'm present. Yes. Loud. (laughs) How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, My daughter is here in this podcast studio with me, and she's standing sort of at parade rest, staring at the computer. But now that I've started talking about her, she's run away. Mm. Yeah, they don't like. They do not like that. (laughs) Run into the other room and close the door. So. You know, there was a time in my kid's life when anytime I would bring out my phone, they would say, make a video, take a picture. And now if I bring my phone out, they're like, you're not recording this. Are you very opposed to, to that? Even if I try to do it stealthily, they'll be like, I know you're recording this. Please Mm -hmm. stop. I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to sit here. Like both of you. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know. My dad, uh, my dad famously, always wanted to put me in the in the photograph whatever he was taking i always joked that if a ufo arrived he would get his camera out and hit and he'd say get over there in front of the <laughs> ufo so there are tons and tons of pictures of me standing in front of something just like ugh. i bet you're glad you have those photos now though aren't you well but he was a terrible photographer on top of that so a lot of them are just out of focus and just sort of uh backlit i mean uh-huh. there are an awful lot of terrible photos from the 1970s i'll tell you I, I would i would be happy to have terrible photos of me there's like eight photos for me between the ages of four and about 19 or 20 is that right yeah there's there's nothing and uh and i wish there were more and that's what i've told my kids i'm like you know one day you'll probably want to see some of these and no i won't I see a picture of me eating a popsicle sitting at the kitchen table. Like, <laughs> I don't want that. I'm like, but you looked cute. You will. You'll want to see those. Yeah, I think they will. There is not. I, I'm pretty sure between the ages of 17 and 24, I don't think there's a single photograph of me. Really? That was your and prime, I, too. It was your sexual prime. <laughs> I wish that I had <laughs> pictures just to see how bad it was. Oh. Yeah, it was a. Those were those were tough tough years. Yeah. So, uh, but not a not a not a damn picture in the whole bunch. But I just you know it wasn't it was it was there just weren't people around me with cameras or I mean you know wait a minute there are pictures of me I just don't possess them mm-hmm. they're they're out in other people's they're probably in the garbage now but they were in other people's desk drawers for a while. Oh, before we go on, uh, I I had a question for you. Something that's sort of been on my mind for a few years now. Mm. Um, I know that you have lots of different pairs of glasses. Mm-hmm. You change them around a lot. It seems like you have one pair that you favor, but then sometimes you have some other pair. Mm-hmm. And I I believe you're like me in that you need the glasses to see well. That they're not you're not just wearing them as an affectation, you actually need them. Is that true? I'm just going to let you sit with that question, Dan. Okay. Because when you change your glasses out, what I'm wondering, and you often talk about how you'll, you'll go to pop tags at thrift shop and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you'll pick up, you'll say, I found a pair of glasses and then you'll be wearing those glasses. Are you getting your prescription put 
into those glasses that you just bought and that you found? Or are you wearing essentially someone else's prescription glasses? I'm not wearing someone else's prescription glasses. Okay. So you get your own or is your own, like my wife wears contact lenses and it's like uh, whatever the, I don't know what hers are, but it's like, she's a little bit nearsighted. She can just order them. She doesn't have an astigmatism. She doesn't have anything else weird going on. They're very basic. She could get them anywhere. Do you have like a prescription like that? That is so compatible that you can just, you just get it filled anywhere and it's easy to do or something or, or what's happening there. I, I do not have a prescription that's easy to fill or compatible with anything. No, I have a I have a pretty dramatic astigmatism, and uh, my eyeballs are flat, so I can't wear contacts. <laughs> right. The last time I went to get a contact prescription, I worked on it for weeks with these people, and they yeah. eventually were like, "That's as close as we can get." Yeah, that's that's me every single damn time. Yeah. Because your eyeballs are flat. I don't know what. I didn't know that, but it's possible. Uh, no. So several years ago, and I, I'm, I'm sure I've told this story before, but in the in the early 2000s, I um, well, let me back up even further. <clears throat> My first pair of glasses uh, I got when I was in the summer before ninth grade and I went to the optometrist and they fitted me for some glasses mm-hmm. and there was a wall of frames like you see at an optometrist <laughs> and some choices were made by the people around me because I was a child apparently and I walked out and I had um, basically Jeffrey Dahmer glasses. Okay. You know, the kind of early, early 80s metal, kind of squarish framed. <laughs> yeah. They sat on, uh, you know, they had little <laughs> um, little pads for your, yeah. for the bridge of your nose. Yeah. And you could, you could swap out the pads if they ever wore down. Sure, yep. sure. Very adjustable. And they were, uh, they were uncomfortable because this was before the advent of, lightweight plastic lenses yeah have you ever do you ever take a take a blow and have those little pads get like banged into the bridge of your nose (laughs) it's the worst it's one of the worst things that can happen to a person well so i i wore them i didn't like them and um that summer i went up to uh arctic circle alaska um Arctic Circle Hot Springs actually was where I was living, and uh, and I was working at the gold mine that summer as a, you know, as just a errand boy, slop, you know, mucker. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I was at the little general store there in the town, and I was um, I was leaning into the. I remember this distinctly. I was leaning into the ice cream cooler to get a popsicle on a hot July day and I <laughs> and the glasses kept slipping off so I took them off and I put them on the side so that I could get my head down in the in the cooler and find the right popsicle and then I left them I I forgot them <laughs> and 
you know, and later on I traced back to like, oh, it must have been at the store when I went into the cooler and I ran back, but you know, they were gone and who knows, this was a town of 180 people. Who knows where they went? I think I might not have even realized that they were gone until a long time later because I just, I didn't like them and I, I, I didn't miss them. Right. But then I didn't have, didn't, didn't have glasses and I was starting in school in this in September. And so I went back to the optometrist. But in the meantime, I, during the time that I was at circle hot springs, I was sitting around the hotel one day because the hotel was kind of the center of the action there. Mm -hmm. And you know, when I say hotel, it's like a, it's a, I, I think you can probably Google an image of the hotel in circle hot springs, Alaska. Uh, to get a sense of what, what I mean by hotel, it's truly a like frontier hotel. Like, um, it had, it had swinging doors and I was sitting there in the afternoon and I was reading a, a copy of life magazine and there was a, an advertisement for cigarettes or bourbon, something, something adult. And there were a bunch of people standing around in this ad who were very glamorous. They were wearing tuxedos. And one of the people, a man, a tall man, a tall blonde man, somebody that I identified with, was wearing tortoise shell glasses. And I had never seen such a thing that seemed so sophisticated mm -hmm. and so East Coast. Yeah. Old money, preppy tortoise shell, right? Glasses. Like a Catherine Hepburn's brother, kind of a, kind of a yeah. Thing. Yeah, and I and I and I think I recognized them immediately as being all those things because I'd seen news photographs my whole life of Mick George Bundy uh, doing some political thing or you know some some um, Shriver cousin or you know I knew what preppies looked like, and here was this guy in this ad. And I just zoomed in on these tortoiseshell glasses because there was something else about them that was a little bit unusual, which is that they were big tortoiseshell glasses. They weren't like little 1950s style. There was mm -hmm. something modern about them. <clears throat> now, for those of you following along who are fairly well versed in the history of glasses frames in the United States, you may be chuckling because this was a very early sighting of what became the most popular glasses style in America in the mid eighties, the very large round tortoise shell glasses frames, they became ubiquitous. Um, but in 1981, I'd never seen them before and no one had ever seen them before in Alaska at least. So we went to the optometrist. My mom you know, was disappointed that I had lost my glasses. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, there's a glasses style that I want. Well, the optometrist didn't have them. And in the, you know, in an example of me standing up for myself at that young age, mm -hmm. they got their catalogs out and we flipped through the catalogs. And then we found these, these to tortoise shell glasses and they were, um, Oh, I'm blanking on the name. I knew, you know, like I knew the brand, I knew the size, I knew everything about it. Yeah. Um, 
And so we special ordered them and they arrived and they were spectacular. I thought just phenomenal. And they didn't have, uh, little bridge pads. They were, they were plastic frame glasses that sat directly on your face. The, the, you know, the nose pads there were, were integrate, right. integrate. Like what, what you and I are probably wearing right now. Right. But this was the first time I had those and anyone at school that wore glasses were all wearing those Jeffrey Dahmer glasses that, you know, the sort of engineer, the type of glasses that you wore if you were a, if you were a, a electrical engineer mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. you know, that was just the style of the moment. Plastic frame glasses were completely out in 1981 or two or three. So I show up at school and the glasses are just the glasses alone are a scandal. People come up to me like, what are you doing? What are those? You know, just like flabbergasted. Cause it, you know, back then like style was, was very restrictive. You know, you, you dressed a certain way. People dressed a certain way. Sure. There, were, there were small categories. And if you dressed outside of that category that you were making, or in a different category, you're making a, a very clear statement about who you were as a human being. Yeah, you couldn't deviate very far without attracting an awful lot of attention. And of course, you know, I'm a ninth grader. That's already true. But these glasses created quite a stir. And I was very proud of them because I felt like I knew something that they didn't like anytime somebody said, ha ha, look at those dumb glasses. I just flashed back to this photograph of these people in tuxedos standing around, you know, ashing their cigarettes in silver tureens. And I thought, little do you know, you plebe, but I'm actually in touch with something bigger than this, bigger than you, bigger (laughs) than Alaska. I'm an, I'm in a tuxedo in a New York apartment. And so I was the only guy in these glasses for for quite a while that year. And that was the year that, you know, people were wearing Vans and Dr. Zog's sex wax t-shirts mm-hmm. and um, Varnays were coming in. It was, it was the Jeff Spicoli years. But I was rocking a whole different vibe. And I, I used to love to be the only guy that was doing a thing, you know, like yeah. I was the on, only guy in Alaska that had a Vespa. I was the only, you know, I just loved that. Well, fast forward to the following year, I'm walking down the hall and here comes a kid in big round tortoiseshell glasses. And I was like, what the, I mean, couldn't, I was just dumbstruck. Dumbstruck because how could this kid look himself in the mirror biting my rhyme so blatantly? (laughs) Yeah. It was like he was walking down the hall with a hat on that said, my name is John Roderick. I was, (laughs) I was floored. And and I'm, I still, I still react that way when people like cop someone else's thing hook, line and sinker. Like when, when Interpol came out, I felt like that's just joy division. You guys just sound exactly like joy division. (laughs) How can you do that? How can you, 
how can you not be ashamed of yourselves? Well, they sounded like Joy Division, except they had like a ton of good songs and they were <clears throat> interesting and intriguing. But more importantly, they were performing for a whole new audience of people that had never heard of Joy Division. Uh, and then when Silver Sun Pickups came out, I was like, you guys, you guys, that's, um, that's, that's the Smashing Pumpkins. That's already been, that's already a sound <laughs> that someone else has that sound already. It's Smashing Pumpkins. Everybody likes the Smashing Pumpkins, including you guys, apparently. But, you know, you sound like them. Well, Silver Sun Pickups did a good job of it and they made good songs and people loved them. And the fact that they sounded like Silver Sun Pick or the, the fact that they sounded like Smashing Pumpkins didn't matter to anybody. But I was appalled, you know, and I was so appalled by this kid in these classes. And it was an under, it was uh, like, um, what well, I guess by then I was a sophomore and this person was a freshman. And so it had that element too of like, what? Well, this kid just, who knows what they, they just went to the glasses store and saw them and liked them. Who knows what they were rocking. They did not have a complete collective. They were a stylish young person, but their style was not complete and whole. You know what I mean? They yeah. were, they were also probably wearing a Dr. Zog's sex wax t-shirt and these glasses. And mm-hmm. I was just like, my mind was reeling. Well, in the next month, that first month of 10th grade, all of a sudden these glasses were popping up everywhere. My very good friend, Tony Hine, who the year before had been like, what are you doing? Do you mean to be wearing those glasses? He actually said something like that. Like, do you, are, are those on purpose or was there a mistake? made at the at the optometrist and i was like this is like their their loner pair or something (laughs) yeah or something like did 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 you accidentally get your mom's glasses and i and i was like you you know so little and yet you act like you know so much Mm. and then the year later he's wearing them right i was just like what are you doing like stop it and i really i really stood there for about a month kind of you know um kind of like kevin bacon in um, <laughs> what am I trying I don't to know. say? Kevin, I don't Kevin, know. Kind of like, kind of the like Invisible Kevin Man or something? No, in Animal House, <laughs> where his first his first ever role, where he's standing there in the street, like all is well, remain calm, like trying to keep the crowd from, yeah, yeah. from running him over. And yeah. uh, I, he was I like a like cop like, or something, right? Uh, he was, yeah, it was ROTC. Yeah, but that's I was what like, it was. You guys stop this, like, stop it. You're, 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 you don't know what you're doing. You don't know. You don't even know. You don't know what you're (laughs) referencing. That was what was so insane to me. Like, do you even know what those glasses are referencing? People are like, what are you talking about referencing? They're like cool glasses. Derp, derp, derp. And off they would derp. And, and I just had a pit in my stomach because I, because what I, what I thought I was. Like my secret society was just getting blown open and Walmarted, um, <laughs> and so, so I for another yeah I guess I liked the glasses so much. And the thing is, they didn't even look that good on me. You know, they're like big round glasses, and I had a face shape that didn't suit them. I should have switched over to something else, but I just kind of stood my ground in them. Um, for another year while the whole world was wearing them. I mean, it went, there, there were two types of glasses. I think if you were, a, if you worked in an office, if you were a lady 
who worked um, in, in an office or, or aspired to work in an office, you could wear those metal framed glasses where the temple went into the bottom of the lens. Do you remember those? They came out and then they drooped down instead of going up to the top of the lens. Yes. They sort of cu- cupped the lens. Oh yeah. I know what you're talking about. The awfulest style of all time. <laughs> But everybody else was wearing these big round plastic glasses all of a sudden. So probably because of you, right? Well, absolutely not because of me. Oh. Because it was nationwide. It was a wave of like Wall Street or whatever. That whole I mean, because that was the era when prep became just sort of mainstream fashion. Mm-hmm. Everybody's dressing prep now because Preppy Handbook and Ralph Lauren and this is this is our style. This is our global style. I remember the first time I went into a Kinko's and everybody in there was wearing a blue button down shirt that said Kinko's on it. And I was appalled. I was like a blue button down shirt communicate. It's an Oxford cloth shirt. It communicates a certain thing. It's about something. It's not just a, just a shirt. And now that doesn't even make any sense because blue Oxford cloth shirts are the universal uniform of people working in, white collar service jobs. Everybody's got a blue button down Oxford cloth shirt. But at the time, the first time when Kinko's first started using those, I was like, well, you might as well. I mean, I don't even understand. I don't, I don't even know a comparison. You might as well give everybody at Kinko's a Porsche. <laughs> um, because I just, I was so locked into the symbolism of those things. Anyway, then Later, I walked into an optometrist to get a new pair of glasses, and I was just like, I was so kind of dismayed by the fact that every every cool thing I ever wanted was ruined. <laughs> yeah, the world and falling I, apart before and I was your sitting eyes. There, that's right. I was sitting there at the at the little desk, and they had a um, you know they had glasses all around the room like they all do, but there was a little cabinet. And inside the cabinet, there were a bunch of little gold round John Lennon glasses, we called them. Just little granny glasses. Mm -hmm. And one pair of them was actually rectangular. And I'd never seen anything like it. And this was, you know, the... This was mid-80s. It was the start of the real sort of 60s hippie revival Yeah, um, that happened there in the late 80s where everybody got all psychedelic. And, <clears throat> and I was like, what about those rectangular ones? And the optometrist said, oh, these aren't for sale. This is just my like cabinet of <laughs> hilarious old glasses frames stuff that was in the basement that I found and I put out here. And I was like, but I really want those rectangular ones. And he said, you want those? Oh, all right. I'll sell them to you for 25 bucks. And I was like, sold. Yeah. Because even then glasses were expensive. Oh yeah. And so all of a sudden now I'm walking around with these rectangular framed golds, um, with the curved temples. And if the, if the big round tortoiseshell glasses um, looked terrible on me, these looked so terrible 
Like they're just, they were terrible looking glasses. They wouldn't have looked good on anybody, but they looked particularly bad on me, but I didn't care because I had this pair of glasses that was just like singing out in the world. I thought, (laughs) right. Um, and I wore them for, I don't know, the better part of nine months, I guess, before they were, you know, they weren't sturdy and I think they broke. And I went back to this optometrist and he still had this case of old round John Lennon granny glasses. And I was like, well, you sell me another one of these for 25 bucks. And he was like, sure. I got them all day because it, you know, there was a time, uh, in the forties when that was the only kind of glasses there was. Were these holdovers from the forties? Do you think? Well, I mean, but they, you know, they, it was like the basic glasses Mm -hmm. and it was only when people started wearing plastic frames in the sixties or in the fifties. Like that's why, you know, when we look at a picture of buddy Holly, we think, Oh, what a nerd. Cause he's got those nerdy black glasses. on. But at the time those would have been shockingly forward, you know, like, wow, look at those cool, big plastic glasses he's got on. Everybody else would have been wearing little granny glasses. We would like to say thank you very much to Casper. What, what is a Casper? A Casper is a sleep brand that has been working hard to revolutionize the entire sleep experience. This is what they're all about. They started out with just a regular Casper mattress. I shouldn't say it's regular. It's extraordinary. It's exceptional. It's wonderful. But then they, they didn't stop there. These things sold very, very well. A lot of people got them. But they said, you know what? We can do more. So they took the original Casper mattress. This has multiple supportive memory foams that gives you a great night's sleep. They said, you know what? We're going to do something else here that's going to be really cool. We're going to come up with two other kinds of mattresses. One is called the Wave. And the other is called the Essential. The Wave has patent-pending premium support system built into it. It mirrors the natural shape of your body. So it's like the regular Casper mattress, like it's like an upgraded version of that one. And then the Essential has a streamlined design at a price that's, uh, to be honest, it's a little more affordable. So now they cover all the bases. And they've got a ton of other products too. They've got pillows. They've got sheets. All of this stuff is designed to give you a better sleep experience, all designed, developed, and assembled right here in the U.S. And they give you affordable prices because they cut out the middleman. They sell directly to us, the consumers. And if you're not happy with it for any reason, guess what? They give you 100 nights risk-free to sleep on it and try it out. And if at any point during that time you're not completely satisfied, they show up and take it away. You don't have to like figure out how to load it into your car or drag it around this hat. No, they come and get it and they take it away. That's how confident they are that you're going to love it. And you know what else? It does take a little while to get used to a new mattress. A lot of us are sleeping on mattresses that are old and that are broken down or that are just wrong for us. And when you switch to something new, you try it and you say, well, wait a minute. This isn't like, I'm not, I'm not sure about it. They understand that. And they're confident that you will love it. That's why they give you the 100 nights. Because they know one night on a new mattress isn't necessarily going to answer every question you have about it. It might take longer. It might take you a week. It might take you a couple weeks to get fully used to it. That's how it was for me. But I know people that get a Casper in the first night after they get it. They're like, oh my God, this is so much better. 
that might be you too. Uh, but that's the that's the deal. You get it. You try it 100 nights risk-free. And they even have free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. So go check this out. They deliver it in a box. You open it up. It expands and fills up. And, uh, and, and, and you get to try this thing for 100 nights. So go give that a chance. The next time you think you might not be getting the best night's sleep, you're probably not. Unless you're on a Casper. So you can, here's the deal. You can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash roadwork and use the promo code roadwork at checkout. So let me tell you that one more time. 50 bucks towards select mattresses, casper.com slash roadwork. Promo code is roadwork when you're checking out. And uh, they want me to say terms and conditions apply. They, they do. They always do. So go check it out. And we appreciate support of Casper, casper.com slash roadwork. So they're just in the world. There are a ton of these little gold round glasses. They, they didn't have any. This guy was, hadn't sold a pair probably in 30 years, and they had no value to him. So he was like, sure, I'll make you a pair. So then I got into those, and I wore those for a long time, just the little round gold glasses. Now, those didn't look good on me either, but they were such a basic glasses that they kind of just blended in blended into the world and i was i had long hair at the time i was going the full hog Mm -hmm. and so the fact that i had these little hippie glasses it all it all fit together it wasn't a good look on me but it was it it, but it passed as a look because this was during a period of my life when i had abandoned trying to maintain a look i was just too I was just too bedraggled. My look was just bedraggled. And these glasses kind of fit that vibe. And then a little while later, I kind of got a pair of, oh, I had a friend who was in the optometry program at Seattle Central Community College. And as part of the optometry program, they needed to make practice glasses for people. And at this point, I think I had lost my last pair and I'd been walking around blind for about a year, just no glasses, kind of like somebody would wave at me down the street and I'd wave back and just have no idea who I was waving (laughs) to. But I didn't, I didn't, you know, have a job where I needed to be able to see. I was just like, I remember I laid down in a doorway one time because I was too drunk to make it down the street and I took my glasses off because I was because I was used to like laying down in bed and you take your glasses off and put them on the end table. I laid down and took my glasses off and put them on the step of this doorway. And then when I woke oh, up, no. you know, or I, or I got my, I got my senses back, you know, I still was like trashed, but I, I, after I'd been asleep for 45 minutes, I, I was able to kind of get up and be like, dude, you can't just sleep in this doorway. Come on, get up. You know, I got up and stumbled off down the street, left my glasses there. Went back then. Went back when I sobered up, and they were gone. This is a reoccurring theme. But this person, so I went to the community college, and this person made me glasses. But they had a ton of old frames that had been donated, and they were all the same, which was black on the top. They were plastic frames, but they were black across the top and clear on the bottom, like classic. 1960s Boeing engineer glasses, basically. 
you know the kind I'm I'm talking about. Black across the top, clear on the bottom. Um, it's uh, it's the glasses that you see in the movie JFK. That's uh, what yes. everybody it's what everybody's wearing in JFK. Uh, and so I wore those, and that was actually a pretty good look on me. Yeah, I can I can see you with that for sure. Well, and I still have I have a couple of pairs like it. Because yeah. From from that point on, I was like, that's not bad. I mean, that's finally there's a kind of vintage style that right because they don't they work well on a face that you know you don't you don't have very dark hair very dark features and i think for people like me who have like a like dark hair the eyebrows and then the top of the frames being dark it becomes too much it's too heavy but for someone like you i would think that would be perfect yeah it gave me some definition yeah and this was still a time when glasses like that were um were being donated because they were so they were considered so out of step and so it was exactly the kind of this was when i was kind of recovering getting my shit back together and i was back into kind of having that extra mental energy to give a care about what i looked like and if you had old vintage glasses frames at the time you would you could see somebody else coming down the road and it was You'd see two people a day in the whole city that had glasses frames that were interesting to you, mm-hmm. and they yeah. would see you. Yeah, you've, told, like, you've told me about this, how you'd have these little impromptu yeah. rendezvous with, with those in the know. Yeah, you're just like, hey, man, nice glasses. Oh, thanks, bro. You know, just like little head tips to mm-hmm. each other because of these things. And, and so I bubbled along kind of in this like free glasses land Um. Which was great because, you know, the, the ones that I wanted were also the ones that nobody else wanted. But then I, I was clean and sober for a few years. I had a job. I was, I was getting my action together. I, uh, I was looking sharp. Hmm. I, worked, I, worked at, I worked at a job where I met a, a thousand people a day. And I started, you know, and, and girls started coming in to my, to my little newsstand. And you could tell that they were just pretending to look at magazines. They were really in there to, to see me or flirt with me or look at me. So I was feeling pretty good about my whole, my whole, um, you know, like top to bottom energy. And I decided I needed a new pair of glasses. And for the first time I was going to go to an optometrist and not like a, a bargain basement one in Chinatown. Mm hmm. I was going to go to the nice optometrist in Fremont, which was called Eyes on Fremont. And <laughs> the the woman that worked at the at Eyes on Fremont had like, you know, blue hair, and she had cool glasses that looked like they were glasses, you know, made for a German architect. And I went in there and was like, "I'm ready. Like, let's go for it. I'm going to get a new cool pair of glasses." And she picked out these glasses that were, you know, sort of in my style, but modern. And she put lenses in them and, you know, some protective coating and also some UV protection and all this, all these add-ons. And I had them made and I picked them up and the bill was $350. Mm Mm-hmm. And this was at a time when I made $900 a month. Mm. 
And I couldn't believe it. I thought it was just like a rounding error. But nope, that was the cost. $350. And I couldn't believe it. I, I walked out of there and I'm looking around at all the other people walking down the street and I'm like, are you guys all paying $350 for your <laughs> glasses? Is this what you guys are doing? Are you, this is the same people that buy new cars. How do you afford it? Why would you even want a new car? How could you buy a pair of glasses for this amount of money? And I was just <laughs> flabbergasted. I walked around in my brand new glasses, which I, which were fine, cool looking, I thought, but I just couldn't believe it. And at some point in that six month period of, of, um, because, because those were the glasses that I was wearing when I started the Western state hurricanes, which became the band that I was, that was, that was the band that put me on the map. And so these were the glasses I was wearing when I got my first picture in the, in the newspaper. These were the glasses I was wearing when they became my signature look, you know. Sean Nelson had a pair of glasses that he wore in the flagpole sit video. And if he had those glasses on when we were out in public, mm -hmm. he would get mobbed. Mm -hmm. If he took the glasses off, he became invisible. See, that's, that's, that's the magic right there. That's right. The signature glasses. Yeah. Well, so I had these glasses and... Actually, um, uh, famously, the, the music writer Everett True, who was an English um, music journalist who took responsibility for breaking Nirvana in England, it's arguable whether he had any effect, but he claimed that he was the one that took grunge, that f discovered grunge, basically, because grunge got popular in the UK before it got popular in the United States. So it's kind of the Jimi Hendrix story. And so when grunge became popular in the United States, the English music press sort of took credit for it, reintroducing grunge to America. Now, right. all of that, all of that story is baloney, but, um, but that's how it went down. And Everett True was this, this music, uh, this music writer that, uh, that kind of really, really wore that crown. And 10 years later, 1998, he got hired by the stranger as the music editor of the stranger here in Seattle. And he moved to Seattle and here's this British, this crusty British sort of sycophantic music writer who his style is like, well, the things that I like are the only good things. And if you like anything else, you are an idiot. And it was, really not in the style of Seattle, but he arrived, uh, coincident with the first Western state hurricane show. So the first time I was really ever in the newspaper, it was an article written by this guy. And the article was, I went to see this band, the Western state hurricanes, uh, that everybody's talking about. And they were terrible. The singer was terrible. The songs were terrible. <laughs> he had a stupid haircut. He had stupid glasses on <laughs> If this is the kind of music that this town likes, then you're all idiots. <laughs> this was his like opening salvo. And, you know, and I wrote a letter to the paper and he and I went back and forth and pretty soon he was writing a bad article every issue of The Stranger. There was something like 
for six straight months every single issue of The Stranger, no matter what else he was writing about, he always found a way to have a sidebar column about how bad the Western state hurricanes were. And it made us popular. Oh, by the way, the Blue Angels are in town. So if you hear them go over. I heard something just now. Yeah. Yeah. They're the. The Blue Angels have arrived, and they like to fly really low over my house, so they may they may shock us kinda, at some point. Kind of cool, though. Yeah. Um. So he and I went back and forth, and and it was kind of a f- that year of nineteen ninety eight was pretty fun. I mean, nobody likes to get articles written about them that say that you're dumb and your band is dumb, but also they were writing about me every single week. So I, you know, after a while, I, I was kind of in on the joke. But when he said my glasses were dumb, I, you know, I had to go take a look at them in the mirror in a different light. And I was like, you know, they are kind of dumb, but not in the way that he means. Hmm. He means they're dumb, you know, in some kind of way. But, but I see that they are dumb. They're just not, they're dumb because I got them at, eyes on Fremont and I paid $350 for them. And that's just like, that's not who I am. Right about then I, cause I always went to thrift stores. I was always in thrift stores, pawing through stuff. It's always how I got my stuff, how I dressed. And I was in there and I was pawing through some bin and there was a bin just 100% full of old people's glasses. And I think that they were in there because of the reason that you said earlier, which was like, well, if you're super poor and you need glasses, maybe you go into the thrift store and you try on 15 pairs of glasses. Maybe you get something close. Yeah, maybe you get lucky. Uh, so I'm pawing through these things and it is like a freaking gold mine of the best kinds of old-fashioned glasses frames all these american optical and rodden stock and and uh bausch and loam and just it's just like you you can't believe it what was in these bins at the time we're talking about late 90s and this was an era when that first wave of of uh people that wore cool glasses in the 60s were dying or at least giving their glasses away their old glasses so I started buying these things for 50 cents and, and, and building a collection of them. And then I would take them to group health hospital and group health would put a pair of lenses in a, in a glasses frame for 50 bucks at the time. And eventually it went up to $99, but you know, pff, still compared to 350 and I was, ju- I was just wearing around the house the first pair of glasses I got made by them. Um, and the prescription isn't good anymore, but yeah. it's st- you know, it still kind of functions because I was already 30 by this point. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had my adult, my eyes had gone to their, 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 the first plateau of wackadoodle that they were going to go to. I'm on the third plateau of wackadoodle now. Mm-hmm. But these glasses I got made were all metal, um, a kind of aviator style, but they were made by like 
Stetson, I think. Really? Or Sergio Valenti or something. Oh, yeah, Sergio Valenti. Yeah. I found this pair of glasses that were, that I thought were really cool frames and I had them made into glasses. Well, they were metal frames, but they weren't light. They were heavy and the lenses were still a little heavy then. And these glasses were just a lot of glasses. And also they looked terrible on me. They were just, they were the wrong color. They were a light gold and it just wasn't a good look, but I'd gone to the trouble, you know, it's not that I'd spent a bunch of money, but I'd gone to the trouble to have these made. And so I wore them for a while and I realized as soon as I, as as soon as I put it, well, this is the thing about wearing old glasses. If you put them on before you've had your lenses put in them, you can't really see whether they look good or not because you can't see. Right. So I I would put these on and say, do these look good? I think they do. Because when I took them off, I liked what they looked like Mm -hmm. just in my hand. In your hand, holding them, sure. Yeah. I put them on and I'd look in the mirror and kind of squint, but it was blurry. I couldn't see. So I was like, yeah, I mean, I think they look great. They have to. Well, they didn't. They looked dumb. And by that point, I had so many pairs of like plastic horned rim shop glasses and wayfarers and all that style uh, that the next pair I took to group health was a pair like that. Just your your regular kind of green plastic um, safety glasses, but without the side shields. And for, you know, for 50 bucks, I walked out and I had this pair of glasses and it was like kapow. (laughs) There it is. That is the glasses frame that looks good on me. It belongs on me. They are, I have 25 pairs of them already just waiting to get turned into my prescription and I'm there. I've arrived at a place where I'm no longer just out in the world floating around, not knowing, you know, just like wearing glasses that just found me like I found my thing. And so when I would get 50 bucks, I would take another pair down to the, to the hospital and get them made into glasses. So I had a, you know, a handful of them. And then the long winter started and I started getting my picture in magazines and I, you know, I had one of three or four pairs of these glasses that I would be wearing and in concerts and stuff. And so somewhere around 2002, pretty early on, I got an email that said, Hey, I noticed, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of your band. I noticed that in every picture you're wearing a different pair of vintage glasses. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, kind of what you were hoping would happen, right? That someone oh would God, pick up was, on it. It's completely hoping it would yeah, happen, and yeah. I was hoping, I was hoping that this email would be from, you know, like a really pretty twenty-six-year-old girl, <laughs> of course, yeah, who worked as a librarian. Somewhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But in fact, it was from an optometrist in Yakima, <laughs> and he said, "I'm a big fan of your band. I'm an optometrist. Would you mind if I made some glasses for you?" Well, this was even better than it being a beautiful 26-year-old librarian. This was like I had just walked into – I'd walked into a, like some richy rich room where there was a gumball machine that was full of jewels. And I said, sure. I sent in my prescription. 
And then we were playing a show in Portland at um, Burbati's Pan. And this guy had emailed me and said, I'll meet you in Portland. And because he was coming to the show anyway, because this was back when people, and I think people still probably do this, but back when you would drive five hours to see your favorite band. Sure. And so I met him. Uh, he was a guy not much older than me. We wa- wa- went out to his car. He opened the trunk and here was this case that had like five pairs of glasses in it that were all my prescription. Wow. And I was like, this is incredible. Uh, but, and his name is Dan. Nice. Um, he had a certain style that he imagined for me. And a lot of these glasses were big plastic and square. And I had learned that square didn't look that good on me because I have a big kind of, I have my, it's just not the, it's just not the, the shape for my face. Like, Horn rim glasses work for me, but only some of them. Some of them look bad. Hmm. But here were these free glasses. And I felt like, you know what? I can I can do this. I can wear these square glasses because they're so because it's so weird looking. It's so bad looking in a way that I can just make it my look. And so for a long time during the, the, the years when I was being photographed the most, an awful lot of those photographs have me in big, chunky, square-framed plastic, tortoiseshell plastic glasses. And, and Dan was really into tints, so he would put interesting <laughs> tints on them. Right. Right, you might have like a red tint on one of your one of your pair of glasses. Yeah. Why not? And the, so the whole time, I was just committed in my mind to the idea that these things were, although I although they didn't look good on me, that they were forward, and that I was, I was into something. You know, Dan had made these for me, and I was going to embrace that concept. And it was a little bit of a of a thing that a lot of us from Seattle had, which was a kind of reaction against vanity in a way. Like we're all extremely vain. I'm extremely vain and conscious of the of of my look, but also at the same time willing to work against that in service of a philosophy. And the philosophy is anti vanity. And so you wear something dumb or you wear something that you know looks bad on you as a, as a kind of way of um, like deflating the part of you that is trying to look cool. Hmm. It's like a triple whammy of cool. You're cool because <laughs> you're wearing a thing that's uncool in a way that is meant to be cool that is – like a reaction to cool. We would like to say thank you very much to Masterclass. Masterclass is the coolest thing. So imagine learning 
new recipes from Gordon Ramsay or getting photography tips from Annie Leibovitz or, or now you can with Masterclass. There are so many awesome, awesome people teaching at Masterclass. This is what, here's how this works. They do online classes taught by the best in the world. It's that simple. Each class is shot with cinematic production quality. They have on-demand lessons loaded with exclusive content you're only going to find on Masterclass. You can choose lessons from classes taught by over 35 masters. I mean, people like Malcolm Gladwell, who explains how to be a good interviewer. Ron Howard, talking about collaboration. Uh, Astronaut Chris Hadfield on traveling to Mars. Like, you name it. There are these amazing classes. And you're like, wait a minute, what am I going to learn about traveling to Mars? This is an amazing class. Like I've watched it. You've got to watch these. They are absolutely amazing. If you're the kind of person that enjoys a TED Talk, if you're the kind of person that enjoys just getting to know somebody who is the master of their craft, these are for you. There are so many cool classes that are on there and they're always adding more. So whether you're pursuing your passion or you're trying to develop your career, there is a master class for you. And uh, they've even been featured in the New York Times, Vanity Fair, ESPN, like the buzz is out there and you can be a part of it for a limited time. Roadwork listeners are getting a free seven day trial. You just go to masterclass.com slash roadwork. And that's all there is to it. Learn from the best in the business. Masterclass.com slash roadwork. We appreciate their support. I hope you love them as much as I do. I've been having a blast watching these things. So one last time, masterclass.com slash roadwork. Now, when I look back at those photographs, I'm like, you know, it's just that they don't look good on me is the thing. Those classes just don't look that good on me. They would look good on somebody. I'm sure they look good on Henry Kissinger, but (laughs) are they look good on, they look good on like a, a North Korean, uh, like scientist. Mm -hmm. They might even look good on a French politician from the sixties, but, but on me, they just didn't frame my face very well. But Dan kept making me glasses and he had a, an eclectic collection. Sometimes he would send me glasses and they were the coolest things I'd ever seen. He sent me a pair of big, big shooting glasses, Germ, West German shooting glasses that he had put a, a rainbow tint on, like red, yellow, orange or something from top to bottom. I wore those every chance I got. And he also would, you know, I would say, I would encourage him like, well, what about some tortoiseshell ones or, you know, like horn rim ones? And he would find them and send me those. And those would, you know, I would focus on those. But like in the one music video that we ever really, really made, I mean, we made two music videos, one of them for um, Blue Diamonds. And I'm wearing cool glasses in that because that was made by a friend of mine here in Seattle. But then the one that we spent all the money on the uh, Fire Island, Alaska music video, I'm wearing the dumbest glasses. Hmm. And I had the cool glasses with me. And when I got out to the shoot, I realized, oh no, I forgot my good glasses. And somebody was like, well, I mean, we could drive back to the hotel. It's like 25 minutes from here and get you the other glasses. And I was in that state of mind where I was, where I said, you know what? Like, no, anti-vanity. Like, I'm going to wear these glasses and make a statement against looking cool or something. I don't know, you know, like, honestly, that stuff was going through my head. 
And so here's this video and I just, I feel like I look really bad in it. I should, I shouldn't have shaved my beard Mm -hmm. and I should have worn my cool glasses and maybe that video would be be like have gone down in, in time in the, well, history no, I mean, of, of of your video work is the best thing you've ever done. All I would want is, all I would want is for that video not to make me wince mm. whenever I see it, like wince in terror. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't look at that video. I can't right. look at it. And knowing that that's like the most expensive video we made, I'm just like, oh my god, we just blew it. We blew it. I blew it. Everybody else looks great. I blew it. So by 2007 or 8, I had 40 pairs of glasses that were in my prescription. And every time I walked out the door, I would reach over to this glasses uh, display that I had, pick a different pair. I never wore the same pair twice. Some of them I loved and some of them I didn't love. Dan made a couple for me that are ludicrous ludicrous uh but i wore them i wore them out because i had these i had these glasses and they were in my prescription and so from 2007 to 2015 dan kept every once in a while sending me a few pairs of glasses in the mail and sometimes he got it incredibly right and sometimes he was like you know just try these it doesn't matter if you don't like them it's fine i just I found them and I put your prescription in them. I thought you'd like it. It's just a, you know, it's just for, for laughs. But in the last couple of years, a lot of these glasses have gone missing. And, and it's very confusing. And has your prescription not changed? Are you still able to wear these same glasses from years ago? My prescription has changed, but each time Dan would send me glasses, he would send me new glasses with a new prescription. Mm -hmm. I would keep him updated. So of the, you know, the 40 pairs I had, they were kind of in groups of five or six where the old, they were the oldest ones and the most recent ones, but it didn't keep me from wearing the old ones. I would put old pair on, wear them out. I mean, I, you know, things weren't very crisp, but my eyes, my eyes had already plummeted. And once they'd, once they'd gone bad. <laughs> I like that, that word plum, plummeted. I mean, my eyes started going bad when I was like, like I say, 12, 13 years old. So by the time I was 30, uh, they'd, you know, they had, they were trashed and they've continued to decline, but not not anywhere close to what they'd done. So I could wear ones from when I was 32, 33. But they started going missing here. And a lot of the good ones started going missing. Well, now where are they going? Who would want them? I thought for a while, like, oh, maybe I left a pair in the car and some car prowler came and only (laughs) took the glasses. Yeah. My brother-in-law once went to a, a water park, like a you know Six Flags Atlantis kind of thing, and uh, and he had lost his glasses somehow. He was a kid; he was probably fourteen, and he said he just you know he's sitting down at some table, and somebody at the next table just there's a pair of glasses sitting there, and he put them on, 
and uh, just wore those for like six months. And I, I remember talking about, I'm like, well, are they your prescription? And he's like, oh, they're close enough. I'm like, well, why the hell would you do that? And he's like, well, I didn't, didn't want to get in trouble from my parents for losing my glasses. <laughs> like, so you stole some other poor kid's glasses? He's like, well, I felt bad about it, but I didn't want to get in trouble. <laughs> like, that was his rationalization. <laughs> so maybe they were maybe there was a guy just going through your car to get glasses he just needed some glasses but i've lost like 10 pairs and the coolest 10 like my favorite pairs and i don't know whether they fell down in the back of the couch and then i gave the couch away or whether I'm a, I'm going to open up a suitcase at some point and there's going to be seven pairs of glasses in there that I forgot I left in a suitcase. Although I've actually gone through the suitcases looking for them, haven't found them or what. And, and honestly, I wondered and still wonder whether, um, when Millennium Girlfriend and I broke up, whether she took oh, five she just pairs, took them. yeah. Oh no, you know she did. You know she threw them in the garbage. I don't know if she did. Just to mess with you, it would be very much uh, just to mess with me. And so now I'm walking around with a feeling of like mild perturbation. Like, are there? Are there great glasses that are hiding in my house somewhere that I don't know? Did someone steal them out of my car one after another and I didn't get the point until I'd lost 10 pairs of glasses? That seems really unlikely. Yeah, that's unlikely. Did my ex-girlfriend throw five pairs away just to spite me? Are, did, I, did they fall into a couch and then I gave the couch away? But I, but I remember reaching down into the cushions of the couch for precisely that reason. Didn't find any. It is absolutely a mystery, a total mystery in my life. <laughs> and I think about it all the time. I can tell, I can tell you do. Because I still have lots of glasses around. And so I'm always reaching down and picking up a pair of glasses and thinking, maybe one of these days I'm going to reach down and find that wonderful pair that is lost. Well, so Dan kind of, you know, moved on. Mm -hmm. He ended up making glasses for a lot of Seattle indie rockers because he was a true indie rock fan. And when the when he started making glasses for other people, I felt a little bit betrayed, but I recognized like, oh, you know, I can't be this guy's only girl. He's, you know, he's um because, you know, making glasses for people, then he's also like in the gang, right? He's our he's our indie rock optometrist. Right. Just like the indie rock doctor. There's an indie rock doctor named John who comes to all the shows and he's a, you know, he's a sort of big cheese doctor down in Olympia. And he all through the two thousands, the nineties and two thousands went to every indie rock show. Every indie rocker knew him. And if you needed help, you'd just call the indie rock doctor. He was a super fan. <laughs> so we had an indie rock optometrist in the form of Dan, but Dan has not sent me very many glasses lately. And so I've been buying these glasses that you mentioned, find a pair here, find a pair there. And the yeah. thing is, I'm still searching like I used to. It's just that those glasses aren't there anymore. Sure. 
And partly, well, you're you're be- competing with a lot of other people for them, I would imagine now. Then you probably well, they, weren't back then. They became fashionable, and so all those people that are running vintage stores, all the people that are are searching thrift stores in order to then take the cool stuff and sell resell it for more somewhere, they started getting all the glasses because they're those people are there at eight a.m. when the store opens. Anything cool gets grabbed. Um, but every once in a while, I mean, I was at the Goodwill the other day and found a pair of flawless varnets from the mid eighties and they had put it in a special case. They recognized that they were cool. They put them in a special case, but they're $15 and I'll pay $15 for a pair of varnets. I'll pay $15 for a, a pair of like Ray-Bans. I mean, I won't pay. Sometimes you'll see them and they're like $80. I won't do that. And if you find them in a, online or in a vintage store, I mean, you could pay fucking almost what you'd pay for them new. So I, so I find glasses and I buy them and I start to make a little pile of them that I'm going to put into a box. And I'm going to send them to Dan and I'm going to get my prescription put in them. Yeah. And I've never actually done this before. It's one of these things like selling my stuff on eBay where I've thought about it for a long time. You know, I could just take some of these glasses, send them to Dan. I've never done it. I've, I've met him a couple of times, uh, where he was giving me some glasses where I gave him a pair back and said, what about these? Like that's happened a couple of times, but I've never just like had five pairs of glasses and just sent them to Dan. But so I've got a pile now I've got a little pile of them and I was just so crazy that you had mentioned it. I just emailed Dan last night and said, Hey, I've got these glasses. I want to send them to you. But also I had this pair of horn rimmed, uh, 1960s ladies glasses and my daughter found them, put them on and they fit her perfectly. And so she started wearing them around. Just, they didn't have lenses in them. Oh, right. And she needs glasses. We've been to the optometrist and the optometrist is like, yeah, she needs a correction. It's not too bad. So if she doesn't have one, it's fine. But she's going to need glasses. And I look at the other kids in our elementary school and the ones that wear glasses all have these corny, brightly colored plastic glasses that look like the kind of glasses you would give a kid that fell on their face a lot. And the idea is, well, kids can't be responsible and wear delicate glasses. They'll break them. And so we put these kids in these like stupid looking glasses that just look like, look like uh, swimming goggles almost. <laughs> and I, I look at these kids walk around and I'm like, oh, you poor kid. And the thing is, you know, they're colored pink or yellow or something as a way of trying to confuse the kid into thinking they're cool, but they're not cool. And every kid knows they're not cool. They're dumb looking. And having spent years and years and years wearing rectangular glasses that looked bad on me, all of these plastic yellow framed glasses are all rectangular. They look terrible on every kid. So I was watching my daughter walk around the house in her horn rim glasses and she wore them voluntarily. Mm Mm-hmm. And unlike most of the costumes she would put on, she would put these glasses on in the morning and wear them all day. 
You know, her first word was glasses. No way. That's a hard I mean, word. After mama, she reached up because she would pull mine off my face all the time. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> she reached up, put her hand on him and said, glasses. And it was unmistakable. So <laughs> and it was just like, that's your first word huh? after mama? I love it. And then she wouldn't say it again for a long time. You know, then it was just like, bah. I'm like, say glasses again, say glasses again. And she did. She ultimately did. So she's wearing these things around the house and I'm like, she's perfectly capable of wearing these complicated, old fashioned, delicate glasses. Like she wears them all the time anyway, voluntarily without even any lenses in them. So I wrote this letter to Dan and I said, I want you to like be on the lookout for vintage ladies horn rim frames that we might turn into glasses for my kid so that she doesn't have to wear these dumb frames made by nanny state opticians. Uh (laughs) And, you know, put on their faces by parents that just don't care, that just aren't trying, you know, they're just not trying. And, oh, by the way, I also have five pairs of frames that I was going to send you in a box. What do you say? And I sent it off. Well, this morning when I woke up, right before I came down to do the show, that email was in my inbox mm. as undeliverable because his his email I've been using for 15 years is just changed, just gone. Gone. So maybe he I listens to the show, right? Well, no. So I texted my brother, Bart, who lives in Yakima and who knows Dan because Dan decided halfway through his career as an optometrist that he was also going to be a musician and started working on a record of his own compositions. And he discovered Bart uh, was my brother and Bart is a Bart plays seven nights a week in Yakima. Um, he, Bart is always geeking. And so Bart started playing piano on Dan's album. And so I wrote Bart and said, where's Dan? And Bart sent me his new email address. He said he moved his, his uh, optrician place to a different part of town. I have no idea why he changed his email address, but you know, Yakima, I don't, I don't ask. Anyway, his, his business is called Yakima sunglass or Yakima sunglasses.com. And he's moved. So, but I, I got this text from Bart right before you called. So I have, I've not had a chance to like actually connect with Dan in mm. his new location and propose this whole operation. But this all happened this morning, last night and this morning, which is why this all this stuff is so fresh in my mind because I've been in a glasses state of mind. The really? Last That's funny that I would hours. ask you about that out of the blue and that you have, you've already been in this place. Like you've been well, living are, right here. There are no coincidences. Yeah, I guess not. But I just, I feel like in the future, I can no longer... I can no longer live in a world where I'm living, where I'm wearing glasses that look bad on me. Right. Life is too short. Life life is too too short short. for that. Yeah. 
That's right. And there, you know, I have so many glasses. Just pick the ones that look good on you and send them to Dan. Um, the glasses that it seems like you've been wearing as I look at your Instagram, um, <clears throat> they look like they have a more round shape to them. And they've got three uh, points on the, the at the temple where you uh, where the hinge is. Mm-hmm. I like now, these. These are good. I endorse these. So they are, they're a, a very old vintage pair that were in perfect condition when I found them. And the, the tortoise shell actually has a little bit of a tiny little bit of a green mm. temperature to it. And what's nice about them is that they're wide enough and also they have... No, they suit you. They're round at the bottom, but they're pretty close to flat across the top. They have a little bit of an arch, but they're... You know, but they're not round above the temples. And they just are the ones that I'm just the most comfortable in. Now, I could, if I were sitting with my magic wand, I could modify them slightly. You know, I would make the the part sort of there down by my cheeks. I would make it a little deeper because I have a very, my face is very long from my eyebrows to the top of my mouth. But, you know, you go to, you go to um, the optometrist with the glasses you have, not the glasses you want. I actually, <laughs> for a while, I, I put something out on Twitter at one point. I was like, look, I have this perfect pair of glasses and I want, but the frames are trashed. Are we at the stage with 3D printing where you could, where you could scan these glasses in and 3D print um, an identical pair of them out of new material. And I heard back from, as you can expect, a wave of 3D printers, 3D print printing aficionados. And the consensus seemed to be, no, we are not yet there. We can do all kinds of things, but we cannot actually just 3D print you a, um, you know, a scan of a, of a pair of glasses. We wouldn't, the, the plastic wouldn't be, strong enough mm. um that's a, was like, that sucks i was like ah so we can do you know like on the one hand people are like they're 3d printing guns right but on the other hand we still don't still aren't able to just take a pe- pair of glasses and make them out of whatever you know the plastic has to be pretty sturdy So, so I still wait. I still wait for the, I'm still searching, you know, that's the thing about, that's the thing about glasses. And I guess it's the thing about style, um, that, I'm, that I, I'll never rest. I'm always searching, um, for, for something else, not for the perfect thing, but for, the next thing, the the evolution of it, and and it's because like style, if it becomes static, if you find a thing that works and then you just choose that from then on, you know that that is a that is a thing. That's why you see men that wear their hair the same way their whole lives, mm-hmm. or men that 
just get a mustache when they're 21 and they wear a mustache and, and it's always the same mustache. It never grows long on the corners. It's just the same. They wear it their whole lives because they figured out what they look like. They figured out a thing that works. They don't want to think about it anymore. And, and they just go with it. And, you know, and that's like, I appreciate that, particularly if you find a thing that actually is handsome, but at the same time, it, it, um, to, to be like that would deprive me of a whole extra voice, mm. like a whole extra way of expressing my feelings, I guess, um, to limit the way that I, uh, present myself. So there is no perfect pair of glasses. I'm just always looking for the one that when I put them on my face, I just, I feel pleasure. 